Good morning. Who am I, you wonder? I know you are. You, in your stories and your Christmas tell, telling of the Christmas story and your Christmas readings and some of your songs, you talk about the wise men. And that is true, I was one of those. But the wise men were more than that. We were men well-trained and well-studied, very well-educated. We studied things like astronomy and astrology, alchemy, magic arts, predicting the future. We also studied the medical arts as well. We were very well-trained men in our day. They called us Magnus, which in your words would be Magi. Some called us stargazers because they spent a lot of time gazing at the stars. A sect of our group would watch the stars from night to night. And you watch the positioning of the stars to determine the weather and sometimes the future events and sometimes just to figure out how the, how the positioning of the stars would affect everyday life in our land. So we were well-trained, wise, and we had an important position. We were advisors to the kings. No king in the Medo-Persia Empire could be a king unless he first passed the approval of the Magi. So because of that, we had lots of power. In fact, some people called us kingmakers because we could, we could turn the events so that, so that a king could not be in place if he didn't meet the qualifications. And so we would use all our arts and all our studies to examine them and figure out if he was going to be a suitable king or not. We were not kings, by the way. We were kingmakers, but we were not kings. Now, where did we come from, you may ask? Well, we came from what we called Persia in those days. Northern Iraq and Iran is kind of the area where we would come from. We come from that land with uh, lots of memories of a, a prophet, a great prophet that was named Daniel. 450 years earlier, Daniel had been part of the Medo-Persian Empire. He'd been taken to Babylon when Babylon's captured Israel. And then when Persia captured Babylon, then he became leader of that group as well. So Daniel was probably the greatest of all the Magi. Not only could he understand all the arts that we studied, but he also was good at interpreting dreams. You will remember King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel was the one who interpreted that. Not that he did it. He gave credit to God because nobody could interpret dreams except God alone, according to Daniel. But there was a prophecy written by Daniel and the other prophets as well. And that prophet talked about a day that a king would come, a special king, one that, one that would be like no other king. He'd be not just the king of the Jews, but king of all. And so that those words of Daniel and the other prophets were recorded in our, in our records, in the scrolls, our sacred scrolls, and stored away. But there was this prophecy of a star. Actually, it goes way back to, in your Bibles, the book of Numbers. There's a part there where Balaam, that prophet who had a, God had to speak to him, remember, through the donkey to straighten him out. Well, Baal, even Balaam in his prophecies talked about a star that would rise out of Jacob. And then all through the prophets, there's these little pictures of this coming king that would come one day, a special king. Daniel wrote about him, and he pulled all the stories, the prophets together, the prophecies, and he, he said that one day this king would come, and his birth would be marked with a star. And so it was in our records, we remembered it, it was passed on from generation to generation of our, of our kind, and then one day... Somewhere a man saw a new star in the evening, in the night sky. A new one. Stars just don't disappear, appear from anywhere. And so there was a great excitement. 
More of us stayed up at night and looked and watched for this star. And it's true, this new star appeared. And, and as we watched it over the next few weeks and months, it seemed like it was slowly moving towards the west, southwest of us. And we believe this is the one that we've heard about. And so we dug out the scrolls and pulled out the records and found where Daniel had wrote about this. And realized this is the one. This is, this is the star that Daniel talked about so long ago. We have to go and see it. We have to go meet this new king. So then there's a big to-do. Who goes? Who gets to go? We can't send everybody. But we took some of the better ones who might be a good representative and we have a way of discerning that not with straws like you might do or flipping coins we have our own methods and finally we discerned the group that would go and see this new king this king that was like no other king and we believed the star would lead us there and would get there well preparing to, for a trip like that takes a lot of work in our day not like you you jump in your vehicle and go in our day that's a big plan. It's a big deal. Remember, we were, we were men of status. We lived in the palace. We ate at the king's table. We were comfortable. We were used to our entitlements and our status. We had to have supplies. So we had to sort of have camels. We'd have food. We'd have tents. We'd have servants. We'd have everything that we needed to go along because where would we stay? How on the way? And then we had to have guards, too. And so by the time we got everything together, we had a big caravan. It was not, it was not the, th the three wise men and the three camels in your Christmas card pictures. Not, not, none of that. It was a caravan of us, a big caravan making our way down to find this, this child. Well, one thing about riding camels, once you ride a camel, you stink like a camel. And for us, that was a little difficult. We're not used to this kind of thing. At nights, we'd watch the star, get our direction set for the next day. And then in the morning, we'd head out in that direction. But after a time, we realized we were heading, we were heading to Daniel's homeland, the land of Israel. And as we traveled on, we took the, the trade routes where we could find them, and other times through the hills and that kind of thing. And then finally, we arrived at Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of Israel. And we thought, well, this is, this is where the king would be born. Where else would a king be born but in a big city, the capital city of the land? So when he entered the, entered the city, we were saying, hey, where is the king of the Jews? Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Where is he? But no one could answer. No one knew. No one had any idea that a king had been born. Nothing. We got nothing. Surely, surely we had heard the prophets right, read the prophets right, read the stars right. We wondered if we had made a mistake. But so we decided maybe we'll talk to the king. King Herod was ruler of uh, Judea in those days. But we didn't have to go and find him. He found us. As soon as we entered the city, of course, he knew already. And he invited us to come and talk to him. Well, I say invited, but it was kind of like forced. So we went to see him. And he asked us what we were doing there. And we told him, we've come to see the newborn king of the Jews. And his eyes went dark, and right away we seen he was, he was fighting rage. He was fighting anger inside. Something was wrong here. But he didn't know about a king either. So he called for the, wise, for the religious leaders, the prophets, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And he brought them into a, a special room to consult with them, to find out where this promised king might be born. And there he found out 
that 750 years earlier, the prophet Micah had prophesied that when the king came, this special king like no other came, that he'd be born in Bethlehem. So Herod came back and told us, born in Bethlehem, and uh, then he, he said, well, go and find him. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. But you know, we couldn't help but see the, the tension in the, in the royal palace. Tension and fear. The servants were scurrying everywhere. And when it says in scriptures that the whole city was stirred, it's true, everybody was upset because when Herod is upset, somebody gets killed. Next morning, we got up real early when the sky was still dark and there we saw the star again and it appeared again. And we're so excited. God hadn't forgotten us. We were still on the right path. And so we made our way to the little village of Bethlehem. And there at Bethlehem, after discerning and watching the star and figuring it out, we found the place to go. It was the house of Joseph, the carpenter. Joseph was away working, but Mary and the child were there. Child probably seven, eight months old by this time. And we were amazed. Here we were. With all our entitlements, all our status, all our power, we've come all this way to worship a king, and this king is in a little house. And they told us he was born actually in a cave, a stable, an animal shelter. What king? What kind of king comes so humbly with nothing in such poor circumstances to such poor parents? We've never heard of this before. But then remember, this is a king like no other king. And when he came humbly, we realized that he came for all people. Not just the royals or the wealthy, people of status and power. He came for absolutely everyone. And his whole life would be marked with humility. Humility. But we had questions on the way to Bethlehem. We were wondering, how is it that, that we came from afar, Gentiles, we came afar to find this child and the king, Herod, and all the teachers of the law and the religious leaders, knew nothing about him. They, they missed it completely. How is it that, that we came so far to find him and found him and others who were so close missed out? We didn't have an answer. So we bowed down and we worshipped the child. Here we were, wealthy men, powerful men, no status, bowing down before the child who was to be the king of the Jews, but king of everything. The ancient of days, the day spring that the scriptures talk about, the root of Jesse, the star of Jacob. And we worshipped him, because he was a king, would be a king like no other. And we presented our gifts, of course, gold, which is for worshipping a king, frankincense, which is more a reflection on his deity, and myrrh, which we couldn't figure out, but we had discerned that this is the gift to take. Myrrh was for embalming kings, the wealthy. We often wondered about that on the way. Why, why would we be led to bring myrrh, something that often is used to embalm a body? So surely there was something about this king that was connected with his death that would help him fulfill his role as the greatest king ever. We just trusted what we were led to believe and we presented it to the child and his mother. Here we were, Gentiles, separated from all the covenants and promises of God, excluded from fellowship with God's people, 
without hope and without a true relationship to God. But God, who is rich in mercy and full of love, brought us there, led us there. He's rich in mercy, and he reached out and brought us there to see this child, this child who would bring salvation to the ends of the earth, according to Daniel, to all who would receive it. No one comes to him unless the Father draws him. And so we believe that the Father had drawn us to this one. This king, this child king, who would be like a king, a king like no other. And we praise God for it, for his goodness. But after we'd spent our time with them, it was time to return home. And then that night we had a dream. The dream in the dream, God told us to go home another way. Not to return to Jerusalem and talk to Herod or let him know because Herod had, was making plans to kill the child. So we went home another way. We read the stars that night, determined our direction, and then we left. Blessed because we had seen the king of kings. A king that would be like no other. And you're sitting here today too. What would you do to worship him? What effort do you go to to worship him? I know you have people in your church that drive almost two hours to come to worship on Sunday with other people. And sometimes the church is almost empty. But they come to worship. What about the morning when you're going to go to church to worship and all of a sudden, oh no, the kids get into a fight. You can't find the shoes. Somebody's clothes are stirred dirty. They put the wrong clothes on. The cat gets out or the dog gets out. You have to go catch the dog and bring it back in the house. You're driving down the road. The kids are squabbling in the back and poking each other and getting upset. You're upset. Your wife is upset. And you come to church and put on a big smile. Here we are. We can worship. There's lots of challenges to worshiping God. No matter you worship him privately at home or in a group setting in a church. There's always a challenge. It always takes effort. For us, several months on the road there and several months back. Giving up all our comforts to get there to worship Jesus. So folks, remember... It's worth it. Whatever you put into your worship is what you get out of it. Worship. The second one is comfortable. We see, we see the religious leaders, teachers of the law, the scribes, all had the scriptures. All had the scriptures there. They knew the scriptures. They knew that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. But they completely missed it. And isn't that true? We get very comfortable in our lives, comfortable with having the scriptures right available to us, so readily available to us, and we're reading it and sort of remembering it, but really, is it doing anything in our lives? Are we just too close and too comfortable that we miss the promises of God? May we stop searching or stop looking, stop listening. You can be so close and yet miss the whole part, the whole point of Jesus coming. And another one is a different direction. When we left, we left by a different route, a different direction. After we met Jesus, we left a different way. And that is true of faith. When we come to meet Jesus, we leave changed people. We become different. Or we keep growing to be more different. The more we get to know him, the more we love him, the more we serve him. But it's pretty easy to miss that too, isn't it? pretty easy to go through all the, all the routine of it, to have the fire insurance policy, 
but never really sit down and contemplate, am I different? Is, is he changing me? Am I letting him change me? Have I become stagnant? <laughs> Have I become complacent? And that is so easy. And you have to remember, there is also in the scriptures a promise that he is coming again one day. And that seems like it's been a while we've held on to that promise. And sometimes we think it's coming closer by what we see in the world, but we don't know for sure. But when he comes, when he comes, we need to be a people ready to go, ready to go when he comes again. You've all heard the, the parables of Jesus about the virgins. Half of them went to the party, they were ready, their lamps were all ready to go, and the other half kind of laid around and took, took their time, and they were very easy and very complacent, and all of a sudden when the king came, or the bride the bridegroom came didn't have any oil for the lamps it was dark, they couldn't get there they had to go and find it, they got there too late and they were shut out it was just a story that Jesus told but it reminds us you know, to be ready all the time for he's coming, coming again Jesus who came once will return God bless you I was going to say Merry Christmas but it's a little late Happy New Year, God bless all of you